Good morning. This is Darrell Gunter, your host for Leadership on WSOU 89.5 FM and streaming on the net at WSOU.net. We're so pleased to have back in our studio this week Mr. Miles Kirison of Kirison Consulting. Miles, welcome back to the program. Thanks very much. It's good to be back. You know, we really had a great discussion uh, last week, and unfortunately time ran out for us, but fortunately you've agreed to come back to do a second segment. Thanks so much. Uh, it's my pleasure. You know, let's do a recap of, of, of last week. For our guests who maybe didn't listen in last week, tell us a little bit about yourself and your background and, and how you came to develop and launch your own consulting firm. Uh, sure. Uh, let's see. Well, I, my background is basically I kicked around for many years, not not ever thinking I would have a career. And then one day I answered that in a newspaper and became a consultant. And it took me about two weeks before I figured out what that meant. And then when I saw what it meant, which was you just went to people, they listened to you, and you didn't have to sit in an office all day, I went, yeah, this is for me. <laughs> And, and actually, I really took to it like I was supposed to do it. And it's sort of something I didn't even know what a consultant was. It's sort of something that just came out of the blue. It, and it just felt very natural for you. It felt very natural. I, felt, I, I really felt from the very beginning that this was something I was, I was born to do. I know that may sound a little corny, but it sort of sure felt like that. And um, when, you, when you started your career in consulting, um, did you immediately start with CEOs or did you go in as part of a team? Um, how did you grow and develop into this profession? Um, well, like any other profession, there's, there were, there were, uh, it was, it's been a journey. In the beginning, we were, I, worked, I worked with a company in the beginning with another company and uh, we did work with CEOs, but they were mostly people who had sales uh, teams, like real estate companies and things like that. And, uh, in fact, my first job as part of what was called consulting then was sales training. So I did sales training in the beginning. But I did, from the very beginning, work with relatively small companies and also um, I did start working with CEOs, and actually what happened was I figured out, although the sales training that we were doing was a really great sales training, I figured it out that you could do the best sales training in the world, but that doesn't mean people were going to continue to increase their sales. In other words, they would increase their sales for a little while, but then it would drop back down to where it was. And, and why is that? I mean, why, why is it that folks will go through training um, they might do some, some new things good for a little bit, but then go back to old habits. Well, well what happens? <laughs> well, that's the million-dollar question. That's why I'm laughing. I, I, it's, a, it's something that I've been, I've been paying attention to for a really long time, and it has to do with sustainability. So people go to a training or they go to a seminar or they go to a workshop or they have a consultant come in or whatever they do. And then the question is, how do you sustain what you learned? And it's sort of the same question of, well, how do you keep your New Year's resolutions? And, and, and basically, this is what I say, is that people are used to acting and being and doing in a certain way, and they will resort back to it without support up to a point in time. And there will be a point in time 
when they don't, they'll actually um, have the new behavior become their old behavior. Mm. You, you know, my wife, Deb, always says to me, um, it takes 21 days to affect a change, 21 consistent days of doing a new habit. What are your What are your thoughts in regards to that as it relates to sustainability? Well, it may be true for individuals. I'm, I don't know where that 21 days comes from. I've, I've been hearing it for a long time, more than 21 days. Um, but for an organization, it's a completely different thing. And I'll tell you where I learned this. I learned this the first time I stayed longer than more longer than more than like a year or a year and a half with a client. Because what I learned is as much as they improved in and as much as they learned in the beginning and as much as they had new behaviors and even new organizations left to their own devices, they'll go back to where they were. And it's 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 the or the organizational culture. Uh, I like to say that the organization culture if it was a being So Miles, you were talking about um, sustainability and, and getting new behaviors uh, to, to, to really be able to sustain themselves versus folks going to a seminar and, and then two weeks later they're back to the old habits. What is the reason for that? Well, basically, we're all creatures of habit and we all, uh, everything that we do, if we do it often enough and do it for long enough, it will become a habit. And an organization is just a bunch of people that are organized around work. And so, so uh, if you multiply how hard it is to change a habit for you as an individual and you multiply it by 10 or 100 or 1,000 or 100,000, then you can see it's, it, it becomes a really solid. It's, cultures in organizations, even relatively small organizations, are very, very, very strong. And they will always do what they've always done, which is try to get things back to the status quo. So left to their own devices, this is the, this is the riddle that every consultant has to deal with. Left to their own devices, they will go back to where they were. They will change whatever they've learned into something that's just a different version of the way they've always done it. And so it takes a long time. It's, it's more than the individual 21 days. It's more like 21 months. Right. And, you know, it's like that stop sign. People say, oh, we need a stop sign here. It's not told, you know, unfortunately someone is either injured or killed that the stop sign is put up. Same things with, with corporations. If we look at Best Buy, um, they, they were looking at their numbers each quarter were not getting better. And then finally, you know, they said, oh, we need to make a change at the executive level. So first they, they did this. The CEO was let go, and then they let go. This, the chief marketing officer, um, and they've been quiet ever since. But it's like they, they, they were, is it just that they were in disbelief that they needed to, to make a drastic change? Well, I, I don't really know. I don't know the details of Best Buy, but, you know, I liked, I liken it to be, to being a fish in a fishbowl. The fish in the fishbowl can't change its own water uh. and doesn't even notice when it's dirty. So, so that's why consultants are a phenomenon over the last, I'd say, 40 or 50 years because they, they, somebody from the outside can really help you do what you can't see yourself. And what you can't see yourself, you can't see how dirty the water is, just like the fish. Wow, okay. You know, I've never heard that phrase before. Uh, put like well, that. <laughs> well, you should hang around me. I use it a lot. 
<laughs> well, you, I guess you would consider that to be similar to Jahari's window, is the side of you that you just can't see. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. You know, it's it, it's one of the things I do. I also do what I call executive coaching. And basically what I help people do is I help them see what they can't see and almost everybody else can. Right, right, right. And how do you get those individuals to not only see what they can't see, but also to start to make positive changes to address those blind spots? Uh, well, the answer to that is very skillfully. <laughs> uh, yeah, well, I mean, there are a number of ways to answer. One is they pay me. And so if they pay me, they take it seriously. Mm-hmm. And then I always, when I coach somebody, before I coach them, I, I spend an hour with them, and I want to know what their goals are, and I want to know what they want out of this. I want to make sure they're doing it because they want to, and I want to make sure they know me well enough that they know what they're getting into. So because I, you know, I work differently than other people, and I know that I'm not for everybody. I'm just for people who I, 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 I have an affinity with. So I've sort of tested them a little bit before we get started, and I let them know. I, they, they pay me in advance. Don't tell anybody. I told you this. They pay me in advance for their coaching. Mm-hmm. And so they're, that, that means they're committed to it. They're vested. They're vested. Yeah, they're vested. Oh, great word. They're vested, and if they're vested, then the likelihood that they're going to do it is much greater. Plus, I'm very straight with people, but I can do it, generally speaking, I'm going to do it in a, in a gentle enough way. And I'm very non-judgmental, so they know I'm there for them. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And if I'm there for them, why wouldn't they listen? It doesn't mean they have to do what I tell them to do. I have ways to help them to do things, but 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 at least they're listening. We're here with Mr. Miles Kirsten of Kirsten Consulting, and if you missed last week's program, uh, be sure to go to iTunes under Seton Hall University. Look for the program Leadership and Mr. Miles Kirsten to catch the first part of this two-part series. And we're here talking with Miles about how to get individuals to see what they don't see, their Jahari's window, their blind spots, and make changes to improve their productivity and their self-satisfaction. And Miles, I believe you've written a paper called The Three Abilities of Awakening Leadership. Right. I did. Tell tell us about that, uh, uh, the three abilities of awakening leadership. Uh, Yeah, I'd love to. Well, the first thing about the three abilities is the context for it, because the context for it is leadership. And I'm defining leadership here as somebody who is continuously creating the desired future. So a leader of an organization or a leader in an organization, they know the future where they're going to, and moment by moment, they can be counted on to to be using whatever is occurring in accordance with where they're going. Does that make sense how I said it? It does. Okay, good. So there are three things that they need to have or need to develop in order to be what I call awakening leadership. So, and the first one is they need to be awake enough that they're, they're present to both where they were going, where they're, what the context or what the vision of their company is or their, their organization. And they need to be not just awake to that, but they need to be awakening. That is, they need to be awake to the present. So they're awake to the present, but the present lies in the field of the future. 
So whatever is occurring in the present, they can see it as a way to move toward the future. That's the first thing. And we can come back to any of these if you want. Yes. Mm-hmm. The second thing is uh, the leader needs to be able to get alignment, gain alignment with their people around them, with their team, with their organization. And by alignment, I mean that people are willing to own the direction the company's going in. They are willing to own the decisions that are made so that everybody's pulling in the same direction. So that's the second thing. And then the third thing is they need to make sure, and this is related to what we were talking about earlier, they need to make sure that the organization can sustain focus over time. So they can keep going. They, they, they won't get a lot of energy, get things going in a particular way, and then lose focus. And, and that's where... We're going to get back to point number one, but just there we're talking about making sure that they can sustain focus. That is ensuring that they have provided the necessary resources and make sure that folks know that this isn't a a two-month deal. This is how we're going to move forward as a corporation. Yes, absolutely. One client I work with, they did five-year business plans. So they would do, if they created a new vision or a vision for the future, they then brought it down to, this is what we're going to do this year, this is what we're going to do next year, etc., so that they had a plan for the future. plan, of course, had to be something that wasn't written in stone because it changed all the time. And in understanding their, their, their present, you're really asking them to be consciously competent and honest with themselves about where they are currently in the marketplace. Actually, I didn't say that, but that's great what you just said. That's absolutely true. They have to know where they are in the marketplace. That might be the third aspect of that first uh, ability. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. They, have to under- they have to understand not only what's going on around them, but that around them must include the marketplace. Right. And it, it, could it be that you're asking them to do a gap analysis of where they are? Well, versus where they want to be? Well, yes, absolutely. But you got to know where you want to be. Mm-hmm. If you know where you want to be, then you want to know where you are in order to know how to get there. So <laughs> mm-hmm. if you're trying to get to San Francisco from here, wherever here is, right. if you're trying to get to San Francisco, you have to know that you're in Washington, D.C., or that you're in New York City, or wherever it is that you are. That is correct. That is correct. Yes. Yes. I, I, I'm big on gaps because if people don't know the gap, they don't know what they need to do in order to close it. So in talking about gaps, um, that could be somewhat of a very invasive or painful process uh, for some CEOs and their teams, would you say? Um, it can be, yeah. It shouldn't be, but it can be. And But this is the part where folks really have to own up to what they've done well and what they haven't done well and what they know and what they, they don't know. Would, would you say that's correct? Uh, yes, absolutely. And the thing is, is that they, they're, they're, they're afraid that they're going to be judged by the past. And, and that's a pretty sweeping statement. But that's, it boils down to something like that. That's one part of it. The other part of it is, and this one I really just started playing with over the last six months, people in general, it's not just that people are afraid to change or don't want to change. I, and it's just, it's that they, they, they really don't want to 
leave comfortability. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And if you're creating a gap, a gap means that you have to do something in order to close the gap. If that's if that's what you want to do, mm-hmm. that's not what you don't want to do. You never have to confront it. Right. But if if you have to do something in order to close a gap, that may mean you're moving out of your your comfortable comfortability. That's a hard word for me to say. Comfortability, yes, yes. Com- comfort zone. Um, comfort you know, zone, yeah. You know, it's much easier. Uh, I, I always say that in a lot of industries, we have people who are coffee clutchers. They got their habit. Um, they get into the office. They go to the coffee machine they have their 10 to 20 minute conversation about the weekend um god forbid if the phone should ring and a customer needs some assistance um but getting folks to recognize that you are here every day to start anew to build this company to be the best company possible um but we are creatures of habit yes exactly i love what you just said because uh, that's what I that's what I mean about standing in the future in the present. What you just said, because you you have to remember where you're going as a company. Right. If you remember where you're going as a company, customers stop showing up as a pain in the butt. Exactly. Customers like you know what I've always said. Anytime a customer calls, no matter what type of call it is, it's a golden opportunity. Absolutely. They have called you. Anytime a customer, in, in today's vernacular of social media, anytime that they tweet, if it's a horrible tweet, that gives you an opportunity to correct the blind spot or correct the problem in the organization. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And I, long, 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 long time ago, I'm reminded of this. I, I worked in retail. And in retail, um, where I worked in retail, there were long periods of time where nobody came in. And you get used to whatever it is that you were filling up the time with. When somebody comes in, you go, oh, no, you're the customer. Right, right. Because it disturbs your peace. Right. <laughs> I was enjoying watching the, the, the birds fly by. <laughs> <laughs> or whatever it is, yeah. You know, I, I do recall that uh, I worked retail as a young man as well, and uh, I enjoyed it. And I found myself actually enjoying when folks would come in simply because it would allow me to really develop my skill set in trying to put together an, an ensemble. I worked in a men's clothing store. Uh-huh. And yeah, right. uh, actually enjoyed it and became very good at it. But you're right. We had other folks who, who would say, oh, man, here, here comes a customer. Now we have to do some work. Yeah. But that's the reason why we're there. <laughs> well, that's right. But you have to remember that that's the reason why you're there. If you don't remember that's the reason why you're there, then you're not what I call aware of the future that you're going to. Right. And in, in any organization, people forget. They forget They forget their mission and they forget their vision. Mm. You, you know what? Uh, with one exception, charitable organizations generally don't forget their mission. Because they see it every day. Well, they see it every day and they know why they're there because it isn't for the money. That, that is for sure. That is for sure. And that's, general again, another sweeping statement. Mm-hmm. But, but generally speaking, the ones that I've been around, they're very clear about their mission. They do it every day. And and they do it with, with a smile. And they do it, yeah. Well, they might not always do it with a <laughs> smile, but they, they, they do it. They know what they're doing. They know why they're doing it. And let's talk. We talked a little bit about alignment last week in regards mm-hmm. to 
How do you get folks to go from being yes people but leave the meeting and really not being supportive to really buying into the vision of the, the CEO? Yeah, um, as we discussed some last week, it, the, the thing is is that people get, I'm going to talk about it a little bit differently because people get into a habit around how they relate to each other as well as the other things that we talked about people getting into habits about. And um, they're used to relating to each other in different ways. They're used to communicating some things and not communicating other things. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, and this happens in relationships, in marriage, and 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 at work. Right. And at, at work, it has a particularly um, um, uh, um, non-beneficial effect because the effect is is that you begin to step over things and you begin your relationships begin to fall into a pattern that that doesn't that has you not necessarily telling each other the truth or being completely honest you take things for granted etc and so teams are like that mm. and so one of the things that you need to do is you need to help them break out of how they habitually communicate with each other and 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 one of the ways, one of the ways that I like to do it usually, if I'm going to do what I call an alignment session with with a team of people, I'll spend a inordinate amount of time in the beginning doing some listening uh, type exercises, because listening helps you to be present. And if you're present, you'll break the habits of how you generally communicate. So that's one of the things that. You know, I got a question for you. In regards yeah. to people listening and being present, you know, now that we have all of these different devices, we got the laptops, we got the tablets, we got the smartphones, how do you deal with a, a executive who has a team of people and everybody is multitasking in a meeting? Oh, I make it, I make it clear that they're not to do that. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That's it. That's a ground rule in the beginning. In fact, uh, I've worked with companies where they have very, they, they have to they actually have to be available on a on a um, on by by phone all at all times, twenty four hours a day, mm-hmm. because of safety things. Right. You know, they they have significant positions in companies where they have safety regulations, and. Um, we make it really clear that the only time that they're ever to do anything is if there's a safety, if there's an emergency of some kind. Okay. Uh, you know, it's the, the worst thing that you can do is to not is to let that happen because it. it I mean, and I've done it enough times. I can tell you, I learn everything by the mistakes I make. Mm-hmm. And uh, uh, if you let that happen, you've lost them. And, of course, the, the CEO is also the prime example of, of demonstrating that right type of leadership. And if they see that the CEO is complying, then, of course, they will comply. Yeah, and, and I generally, if I'm working with the CEO, what I generally do is I generally, I, the day before the session, I spend a couple of hours with him preparing him for the session and things like that. I want him, to, him or her to know that there are some things that, she or he has to be be willing to do, and one of those things is to be willing to set aside all their all their toys. Have you had a situation where the CEO said yes, but then got into the meeting and uh, 
did not comply with what he had agreed to? Yeah, I've had everything happen. And basically, what I'll do is I'll take him aside. And I'll stop the meeting if I have to, but I'll take him aside and I'll just say, look, you know, you can't do this. Mm -hmm. If you want what you said you wanted, you can't be doing this. And, you know, I... You know, this is one of the things that you learn. I think every consultant learns it. If they haven't learned it, they're probably not successful. And that is, to to really serve a client, you have to be willing to risk everything. Right, right, right. Risking everything. Yep, you got to risk getting fired for the sake of the client. And have you risked it all, Miles, where you actually had to set your client aside and the client said, you know, Miles, this isn't working out for me. Um, we're not going to continue with your services. Have you experienced that uh, type of uh, loss? Uh, not in a really long time. In the beginning, I've, ha- I've had incidents like that. But generally speaking, what I found out is that every time you risk something like that, and by the way, it's not just for consultants, it's for people at work too, although it's easier for consultants. Because a consultant just picks himself up, dusts himself off, and starts all over again with the next client. If you get a job, that's different. Mm-hmm. But still, you have to be, if you really want to be successful, you have to be willing to risk. Right. right. And, and, and so I have had, I had one client where in the middle of a room full of 50 managers, he, he, he sort of whispered, he, he sort of whispered to me from the front row, the CEO, uh, after some really bad behavior on his part, and I can't go through the whole story, we don't have sure. time, but right. he sort of whispered to me and he said, this th- this room is dead and allowed in front of the whole room. Mm. I said, yeah, it's dead because you killed it. Wow. And then he looks at me, his face gets all red, which it, he gets when he's angry, and he looks at me. And I said, you killed it. These people did all this work and you came in here and you were judgmental and all you did was attack. And you know what? He calmed down. We, we took a break. He calmed down. I coached him at the break. He came back. He said, let's start all over again. I apologize. Uh, a learning moment for him. Well, it was a learning moment for the organization. Yes. Because yes. I had people come up to me days afterwards and said that was a turning point for us. Wow. That is awesome. You know, Miles, we are down to our last couple of minutes, and I really uh, wanted to get your thoughts on uh, what is what is one of your favorite quotes on leadership that you can share with our audience? My favorite quote on leadership? Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> I have one that I use, which I've already said. Oh, well, that's the only one I can think of right now. Well, that's quite all right. Okay. Well, so my favorite quote is, a leader is somebody who can be counted on more often than not to create the future no matter what's going on. Excellent, excellent. And of all the books that you've read, what are one of your favorite books on leadership? Um, I think the Jim Collins, uh, Good to Great, is a really good book. It's not specifically about really leadership, but that's a really good one. There's also one that he wrote. It's a, it's a pamphlet, uh, or it's a very small book, and it's 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 uh, I think it's called uh, Good to Great for Nonprofits. Oh, okay. It's another one that's really good. I like a lot. Very nice. Very nice. And um, 
who are some of the, is there a particular leader in corporate America today that you think stands out above the rest? I mean, when I was in the 80s, uh, Jack Welch was the, the person that people look, looked up to. Who would you say fits into that mold today? You know, I don't really, I don't really know enough about people. I, I'll tell you who I think is is maybe close, and I hope nobody's booing me when I say it. Barack Obama. And why would you say Barack Obama? He's one of my heroes as well. Well, I thought from the very beginning that he was the best leader that we've had in a really long time, and maybe the only leader we've had in a really long time. In in a in a major political position. Um, but actually now, since his re-election, he seems to have really come, uh, um, taken great strides way beyond what he was before. I'm glad to hear that you're a fan. Absolutely. Absolutely. Well, ladies and gentlemen, this is our time with Mr. Miles Kirsten of Kirsten Consulting. Miles, I want to thank you for coming on the program the last two weeks. I've learned a lot, and I'm looking forward to continuing our dialogue. Well, thank you very much. I've learned a lot, too. Ladies and gentlemen, this is Darrell Gunter, your host of Leadership on WSOU 89.5 FM and streaming on the net at WSOU.net located on a beautiful campus of Seton Hall University. Remember, leadership begins with you. Have a great weekend.